Well, we have something special for you today. I'm going to invite my friends, your friends as well, Mike and Kathy, to come on forward. And um, we're going to hear a little bit of their story. It's important that we share stories from time to time. We probably don't do it often enough, and I suppose there's no one to blame for that but me. So we're going to do it more often. Um, as I told you, the Esselburns were excited to share with you about what God's doing in their lives, but they're going to have to reschedule. But Mike and Kathy, you are here. Thank you for being here and for making the time. Let me get a little closer to you. Uh, and for also putting the time in to just prepare for this. Um, I know a lot's been going on in your lives, and so thanks for your willingness to share. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, again, we approach you. Boldly, we approach your throne because of that great advocate, Jesus, that we know we have seated at your side. Uh, Lord, thanks for Mike and Kathy and for the story that you are continuing to write with their lives. May you continue to receive glory from it. Bless them now and, and me as well and all of everybody, everybody here who's going to listen. Um, may you move mightily among us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. So, I guess, um, first of all, before we get to what's been happening recently, Kathy, I thought I would ask you, because a lot of people here don't know you, tell us, just first start off by telling us a little bit about your St. Andrew story, about your history with St. Andrew. How and when did you, uh, did you start attending? Microphone. We've always been a member of St. Oh, Andrew. Um, since it was founded? Since it was founded. Okay. Um, there was a group of people that uh, we left the Auburn Preds, mm -hmm. not because we were disappointed with anybody at that church, but uh, I think we were more concerned with the way the Presbyterian was going at that church. Mm -hmm. And um, so we broke away. I think there was about 18 families that broke away. And... Um, we used to meet at Walton's travel agency to start with, mm -hmm. and uh, through the course of what we wanted to do, um, I think John Mannon was very instrumental in um, finding Presbyterian uh, uh, ESP, you know, mm -hmm. evangelical ESP. A denomination. Yeah. 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 ESP. Yeah. Anyway, um, we've always been a member of St. Andrew since it started. Yeah. So, so you knew that you didn't want to, the church, John, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but you knew you didn't want to be homeless or independent, right? You knew you, and, and so it was a, a, right, it was important to be connected to other churches, and, and that is important. It's important. We're all supposed to be under authority, and of course that authority is not perfect, but we're all supposed to submit to each other in the church, and churches are supposed to submit to, it's all biblical. And so you found the EPC, you started this church, after the travel agency, then what happened? Um, well, we, we used to meet out at, um, no, we, well, we met at HIMAC, but before HIMAC, we moved, we met out by the movie theater. Mm -hmm. And then we met out, we met at the Climax Center for a while. Mm. And then we went to the old high school. Mm -hmm. And from the old high school, we came here. Yeah, and you're at, which place were you at the longest? 
the high school? Yeah. That was, like the high that was setting up chairs every week, right? Mobile church. If you know what mobile church is, it's setting up chairs and everything every week, and then after worship, tearing them down. Uh, Everywhere, every place we were at, we had this. Every place. We also ate every time we tore the chairs down, too. Every time you <laughs> tore chairs down, you would eat? That's a good incentive to get volunteers, huh? <laughs> to get helpers. Yeah. So that's a little bit about not only the Johnson's history, but the history of this church, if you didn't know that. that we, uh, St. Andrew moved into this building, what year? 2004. Very good. And it's paid off, what, two years ago, three years ago? That was a big celebration, too. What? Okay. So, yeah, thanks for, the, for that a little bit of background there. And um, so, Mike, I'll ask this question towards you. That was a while ago, what, 26 years or so? Why are you still here? Well, well I mean, that sounds like a, a little bit of an obnoxious question, right? Uh, I mean, I say that in a funny way, but seriously, nowadays, seriously, nowadays the mindset of many seems to be to treat the church like it's a, another product that you would consume on the marketplace. In other words, if the church does something I don't like, if they change the carpet without my input, or if the pastor disagrees with me on something, then I'm out of here. That seems to be the mindset nowadays. Uh, so what has kept you here? Why have you stuck around? Well, I came from a transit and, or a mobile family. Uh, uh, my dad, we worked on the railroad, and we moved around quite a bit. And it took me a long time to get used to find out where my family really was. Uh, when we've been in the Auburn area uh, since 74, and we wanted to stick around this area, uh, especially for the kids in school, then the family was, was all important to us. Uh, it, it paramount for Kathy and I to know that the church is our family, and there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, That's mm. why we stick around. That's well said. It's well said. It's not a perfect family, is it? <laughs> no, <Nobody's weird. laughs> Yeah. Your family ever get on your nerves? Once in a while? Yeah. But it's family. I like the way you put that, Mike. So what's your favorite thing about the church right now? It's been through many chapters. Many things have happened over the years. What do you see that is exciting, or what do you like that God's doing right now? Mm -hmm. It's not just. Hold the mic real close. It's not just doing something for the foster families, but it's the uh, us getting together ah. and doing things together as as a family. Right. You know, with and it gives us another time to see our family other than on Sunday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I enjoy uh, Wednesday morning life group. Mm. Good. Good. Yeah. What, uh, okay, this isn't a job interview, but uh, if it were, they might say, you know, what, what's your best skills and then what, what's your weakness? Or tell me about a failure that you've had. And I'm not going to ask, so, ask you in quite so many words, but let me ask you it in this way. What are you looking forward to God doing? How are you looking forward to God growing us in the next chapter? Is that fair? Well, fair way to ask. Well, what do you what are you looking for him to do in this next season? 
be patient about it. Uh, I sometimes am not very patient. Uh, my life is, uh, how do we explain, you know, a, a fire came to us in this house, it's had a turmoil that we want to experience and have very, we don't want anybody else to experience this, yet it's still patience in knowing what God has planned for us. Uh, I'm mm. looking kind of forward to it, actually. Yeah. Uh, Callie and I, uh, just to give you some kind of example, when we first met with the uh, fire inspector, claims adjuster, forensic examiner uh, of sorts, we were kind of smiling at him. Gee, it's only material things that we've lost uh, other than our pets. Uh, and he was kind of shocked at this. He says, well, there's something wrong with you too, you know? Is this something that, you know, why are you so happy about it? Not really happy, but uh, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't mean anything to us that uh, uh, we didn't lose a life. Uh, my granddaughter was, was there, you know, doing the, uh, watching the pets, but uh, she, was, she was working time, so. Well, let me pause you just now. I know you're getting on a roll here, but not everybody knows what happened. So take me back to... Did I do that? Okay, take me back to uh, the trip you were on a month ago or so and that phone call that you got. Tell us what happened. Uh, I'm not one to take my phone with me everywhere I go. Okay. Uh, we were at this for post in the 70s. We were in Arizona, uh, and we were down to the swimming pool. And uh, it, we didn't go to a spring training game. You know, that's what we were there for. Uh, I had, I don't know, 45 messages on my phone when I got back to the apartment. Did they well, call first you, too? First of all, they we were me. at the swimming pool. I had my phone. I was in the pool, and my phone started ringing. And I said, Mike, answer that. And he answered, and it was his niece. And she said, your house is on fire. <laughs> he looked at me and said, our house is on fire. I said, what? He said, our house is on fire. He says, is somebody pulling our leg? <laughs> you know, you don't expect that when you're on vacation. Mm. Well. We immediately got our things together and went up, and, and we did pray. The first thing we did was pray. We prayed a prayer of thanks that that we weren't there, and we knew our granddaughter wasn't there. She was working, and and we didn't know about our pets yet, but, mm -hmm. but we were thankful that nobody was there. You know, um, I've never questioned God through this whole thing. I, I... I really feel that he knew that was going to happen, and he removed us from that. And, you know, you always talk about the what-ifs. If we'd have been there, it could have happened at nighttime. Mm. And if you would see our master bedroom, we had a Niagara Therapy bed, which has a rubber mattress. It's an air mattress. Type. Our covers literally melted to the top of that bed. And if it would have happened at night, I don't know if we'd have gotten out or if both of us would have gotten out. So we were very thankful that, that we weren't there. And I'm sure that God had his hand in this, that he didn't let us. But mm. 
Well, since you've gotten the news and you've come back, you met with the adjuster, things are moving. Just give us, I guess, an update as to where things stand. Can you, can you do that real quick? Logistically-wise, I guess, you're going to rebuild? Yes. Uh, you remember when I said about my patients? Yeah. Uh, he's taking a little bit longer than what we think he should. He's <laughs> <laughs> our, our hopes, actually, is to tear down completely. We lost at least 60 to 70% of the house, uh, even though it started in the garage. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, it's a beloved one, but my 62 Chevy was in there, and it, mm. it was toast. My other car was in there, and that's it, also damaged. Uh, anyway, the scenario is that uh, we've already met with the contractor. We've already discussed the fact we want to go with the downsizing uh, portion of the house, and but for some reason the the uh, uh, estimator or the, the uh, insurance people, uh, he wants to be sure that mm. he has to have proof of everything that's wrong with that house. Either the concrete in the garage has to be uh, removed, but he has to have proof of that. So uh, he's very diligent, but mm -hmm. that's, that's his job. But uh, <coughs> we're ready to get started. Is that what, uh, where we're at now? Yeah. Let's just update for the folks. They don't. Most of these folks don't talk to you. They're most of them aren't in your life group, so I like to let people know what's going on. What about, uh, what's the role of your church family been? You've talked about the church being a family. As you've walked this road, what has the role of the church family been? Feed us. Uh, feed you. <laughs> they have come along prayed for us, and we can really feel the prayer. Interceding for you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Like that? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, um, you know, we just, we can feel the prayers. We just really appreciate that. There's there's not much, a lot of people offer to do things, but there's not much that can be done right now. Mm -hmm. so it's a waiting period, like you said. And I think God is is, is teaching him patience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they do say be careful about praying for patience. <laughs> Because when he answers that prayer, the way he answers it is, you get to earn them. <laughs> he doesn't just snap his fingers and, oh, well, now I'm a patient person. No, you, you got to earn it. You got to grow them. Yep. Well, uh, what else can we do? How can we pray for you specifically? Any scriptures that have been particularly meaningful? Any scriptures you want us to pray with you in mind? Well, the one that has come to my mind all through this is First uh, Thessalonians five eighteen. In all circumstances, give thanks, um, because this is God's will for you in, in Christ Jesus. And we always pray for God's will, but realizing that thanking Him no matter what. You know, we, we, we jump right up and thank him for all the good things that happen to mm -hmm. us. But when something, you know, for us right now, we weren't there. We didn't see the fire. We might have a totally different attitude if we'd have been there. You know, um, one good thing, we came back with a week's worth of underwear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you laugh, but you think about that. If we'd have been there, we'd have gotten out with what was on our backs. Mm -hmm. And uh, God is God is good. You know, even yeah, I never thought of that. He had a suitcase full of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Well, thank you for sharing with us today. We're going to pray for you, and we will continue praying for you. You can post updates on it for that on that app. If you did, you get that yet? Because then we'll be able to see them too, in real time, and we can pray for you that way too. Praises and requests, right? All right. Let me. Uh, why don't you come down here and. Um, And congregation, if you just want to join me in a prayer for these two, and you can put a hand out or just bow your heads as you're comfortable. God, we do come before you, Lord, with thankful hearts. And I will pray, as Kathy has asked, uh, that you will help these two to continue to give thanks to you in all circumstances. That is a huge grace that you've given them. You've given them a tremendous faith to be able to do that, not to be embittered, not to be overcome by anxiety, but to rest in your um, uh, providence. You take care of the birds of the air, you take care of the flowers of the field. How much more, then, are you going to take care of these two, your beloved, precious children? We're going to trust you in that, and we're going to pray for these two, for perseverance, for faith, for patience, and for thankfulness as they walk this road that you've laid out before them. Lord, we give you honor and praise in this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. About this time of year, every year, I try really hard to get into hockey. Uh, I like to watch hockey, and it's, it's, it's a really exciting sport to watch. Uh, there's a problem, though, with trying to watch hockey. And that is this, you have to watch every single second. You cannot be distracted for a minute, or you might miss the only goal that happens for the entire game. Now, this is a problem for me because uh, I live in a house with four small children and two dogs, and having the hours necessary to sit and watch undistracted is very rare. It's very rare for me. Now, the other day, it was Thursday, and um, uh, Boston and Columbus, I'm in Ohio, I'm a Buckeye, so go Blue Jackets, Columbus is playing game one of their series. And I was, for whatever reason, I was able to watch the whole thing. And now Columbus had swept the series before, and they had this long layoff of over a week. Well, Boston was in a seven-game series against uh, Toronto, and so they only had one day off. And it showed, man, those two teams hit the ice, and, and, and Boston was twice as fast as Columbus, and they were just beating them from one side to the other. And, but, but... In the third period, it was still only one to nothing Boston. It should have been five to nothing, but it was only one to nothing Boston, and I couldn't believe it. Halfway through the third period, I'm just still, I'm just transfixed. I'm glued to this game. I'm into it. I'm just, and Skyla, my two-year-old, uh, she had to, she's potty trained now, but she can't do it all herself, so she's screaming that she has to go potty. And Sarah is indisposed, probably feeding the baby or doing something. She wasn't available. And I look around, and Molly was, she was, to my 10-year-old, she's down in the basement somewhere. She can't hear me. But there's Penelope within earshot. And so conveniently, six-year-old Penelope, I holler at her, Pen! Take your sister to the bathroom. And Penn can help out with this. She's pretty good with this. Except, unless, and I won't give you a TMI here, but unless uh, she gets to the bathroom and finds out that it's more than she cares to handle, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so that was the case. And so Penelope comes screaming out of the bathroom, Wah! I'm not going to... And meanwhile, Skyla's sitting in the bathroom. She needs attention. And so lo and behold, i got to get up off the couch, and I have to go parent. Um... And so, 
you would never believe what happened. Not only did they score. Within 13 seconds, Columbus scored two times. Two times I came back, and I couldn't believe it. Here, they should be down five to nothing. Now they're up two to one, and I missed the whole thing. I have no idea how it happened. Um, They ended up losing in double overtime anyways, but they won last night in double overtime. Not that I was up to see it, uh, because I was getting ready to see you all here today, and I can't stay up that late. But uh, tied 1-1, coming back to Columbus this week. Anyways, uh, why do I bring all that up? Why Why do I talk about hockey? Hockey, I think, is the ultimate team sport. I think of all the team sports you can think about, basketball is a team sport, only five guys on the court. But you know what? There's always one guy who leads the stat sheet. There's always one guy scoring the 30 points or something and uh, getting the triple-double or whatever it is. You know, you can be a championship-winning basketball team with one good guy. Uh, Baseball, team sport, nine guys on the field, right? But you're only paying attention to two guys, at a, three guys at a time if you count the catcher. There's the pitcher, the, and then the ball gets hit, and then it's only a, you know what I mean? There's a lot of guys just standing around. Football is the same way. Team sport, 11 guys on the field at a time. They say hike, and they all ca- But a lot of times, if this, the receiver knows the play isn't coming his way, it's a running play, he can just stand there, and they do it oftentimes. And the game is, in football, they even call them skilled position players. How would you like that if you were a lineman? Because you know who the skilled position players are? Quarterback, wide receiver, running back. How would you like to be a lineman? What do you mean, I don't got skills? Of course you do. I don't know why they do it that way, but they call them skill position players because they lead the stat sheet. They're the stars, right? They're the ones that every kid wants their jersey. But in hockey, in hockey, unlike any other sport, those five guys move together on the ice as one. Yeah, you might see this guy score a goal, but he scored that goal because of what these two guys were doing, if you imagine a television screen, because of what these two guys are doing at the top to distract, and then this guy to deflect, and then it all happened so quickly and smoothly and simultaneously. If one of those guys hadn't been in the exact spot at the exact moment that he needed to be in to deflect that puck off his skate, it would have gone to the other end. Instead, it got the goalie turned around, and his teammate could put it in behind him, and they're just moving as if they're one organism on that ice, and it's just an awesome thing to watch if you can do so without being distracted because you really do have to focus. So that's the beauty of hockey, but also the frustration of hockey for me. And I bring that to the the text today that Chad read from Hebrews because as those are, uh, as a hockey team, as those five guys moving together fluidly in one, as one, depending on one another, totally interconnected towards the same goal, that is the picture that we should have in our minds as we think of what this thing is that we are here to do today. This thing is that we're supposed to be doing every day, every hour of every day, this thing that we call church, this family that we uh, call the family of faith, this this path that we call discipleship. It's a team sport. It cannot be done alone. Indeed, it was never designed to be done alone. And in the passage that Chad read from Hebrews 10, it's a key passage. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but he has a pivot point in there. He's talking about Jesus the high priest and all that Jesus did for us on Easter, but then he pivots to now the so what, or he pivots to the what now, He says, now, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ's return, the day approaching. Do not give up meeting together, as some have done. 
And he's going to go on and on now for the rest of the book. In chapter 11, he's going to talk about the people who've gone before us, the Hall of Fame of Faith, it's called. He goes through so-and-so and so-and-so, all the people throughout the church history who have, had, who have been, the, the, for lack of a better term, heroes of the faith. And then he says in chapter 12, because you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, so even you living in flesh and blood space and time today, even you all aren't alone. We're surrounded by the church, the faithful, the saints who have gone before us. They're cheering us on, Right? Just you are surrounded by all of this, by this great cloud of witnesses, then you are to take faith. You are to, to persevere. Persevere. Because he knows it's going to be tough. He knows following Jesus is not easy. But you are to persevere because you have each other. You're not going to give up meeting together. You're going to spur one another on. You're, gonna, you're surrounded by this great cloud that has gone before you. And then he co- brings in some other things that are going to happen. And this is in chapter 12. I'm just going to go through them quickly. He says to accept the Lord's discipline. Do you think what's happening to Kathy and Mike, we don't like the word discipline. We're, 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 we're uncomfortable with it. Surely God wouldn't bring something bad into my life on purpose, would he? Well, why not? He does all throughout the Bible. He does that. He has the freedom to do that however he wants because he knows what he's turning you into. He knows that he's disciplining you, discipling, shaping, molding you. And he's going to bring, just like a potter with the clay, he's going to bring pressure onto that, onto that clay in order to press it and to shape it and to form it into the shape that he ultimately has in mind. But the wad of clay has no idea. All the wad of clay knows, if you can imagine me as a wad of clay up here, all the wad of clay knows is that Ah, there's some fingers pushing into me and it hurts, right? So absolutely what Kathy and Mike are going through, a house fire for goodness sakes. Yes, God can use that for his discipline, for his shaping and his forming. He's using that right now and you heard a part of it to create them, to change them, to build them, to transform them into the people that he has in his mind that they're going to be. And so don't despise the Lord's discipline, but accept it. The author of Hebrews says, well, you know what? You need each other to do that. You need each other to do that. Uh, Otherwise, you won't know. Am I experiencing this because it's the discipline of the Lord? Or maybe I'm just being a bonehead, you know? Maybe I'm just messing up. Maybe I'm living, maybe I'm bringing this upon myself. Or he talks in chapter 13 about hospitality. He says, show hospitality to everybody. Talks about those in prison. Visit those in prison. Remember those in prison. Pray for those in prison. He talks about the marriage bed. He says, keep the marriage bed undefiled. That's so important in the family of God. He says, don't love your money, but be generous. Honor your leaders. Offer a continuous sacrifice of praise. Do good. Share what you have. Again, he says, uh, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And finally, he asks, the author of Hebrews asks, and pray for us. Pray for the church. Pray for other believers who are outside of your own immediate gathering. All of this is a team sport, and we are all in this together. This is why we make such an emphasis at this church, in this 
family, of connecting to God, that's so important. You have to be connected to God. You've got to realize what Jesus did for you on the cross. You have to repent of your sins individually. You have to go to him and say, Father, I believe. Father, I want Father, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I want to be different. I want to be better. You, if, you, if that's your heart, say that to the Lord and know that you are his. It is he who put that desire to be better, to be holy, he put that in your heart because you belong to him. You have to have that connection. You have to have that, call it a conversion experience. And if you've never done that, you can do it right where you are. You just do that today. Jesus, I believe. Forgive me. I want to be better. Lead me. But that's not the end of it. The connecting to God piece is a forever. You'll be doing that forever. You'll be growing in that. You'll be getting closer and closer to him forever. Realizing areas of your own life and sin and stuff that you didn't know were there before. And inviting God in to, well, clean up the mess for you. We connect to God. We also, though, connect to God's people. We connect to God's people. When we take communion, I always say we take the bread hold it and wait because we take it together because we are one people. There is one church, one body. We are a people and we need each other. We need each other. And one of the reasons, I, I, I cite it as probably in the top three reasons that the church is in decline in the United States today is because for a couple of generations, that wasn't the case. For a couple generations, church was something you did on Sunday morning and maybe Wednesday night, but you didn't have much to do with those people throughout the rest of the week. That's not a church. You can call it a church if you want. You can say, I'm going to church if you want, but that's not a church. Here's my heart for you and for me. Here's my heart for us. This is what we need. This is what we need to have. When it's the middle of the night, and you get bad news. Maybe a kid, you find out a kid's been sneaking out. Maybe you find out you got a diagnosis. Maybe you just can't stop the baby from crying. Maybe, who knows, God forbid, anything, right? Who do you call? Who do you call? Have you formed the relationships in this place with others who've pledged loyalty to Christ, with others who are looking to the scriptures for their worldview and for their, for, their, for, their, for their faith and their trust and their confidence and their advice, are those the people that you're calling when you really need it? Or are you calling somebody? Might be a great person. Might be your best friend since childhood. Might be your mom who raised you. Never steer you wrong, right? But nevertheless, if they aren't getting their wisdom from the word and from the Lord, then they're giving you wisdom of the world. They're giving you wisdom of the world. And that's not what you need. So if we were a cult, I would say, cut those people off. Block them. Anybody who doesn't believe, anybody who's not a member here, block them on social media. Delete their numbers from your phones. Do not talk to them. If we were a cult, we're not a cult. We're not a cult. We are commanded to be in the world, to gather here, yes, but then we are sent back into the world. 
However, if your closest friends aren't following hard after Jesus, you won't be either. If your closest friends are not trying to persevere in light of what Christ has done for them, in light of who they are, the forgiveness of their sins, the resurrection of our Lord, the empty tomb, Him ascending into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty so that we don't need a priest, we don't need a sacrifice, we can pray to Him anytime, anywhere, no matter what's going on, even as we're sinning, as I told the kids, even as we're rebelling, even as we're doing something we know is wrong, He is still up there praying for us. That's who we are. But if your closest friends don't know that, if your closest friends aren't pressing after him, you won't be either. You won't be either. So we connect to God, we connect to God's people, and it's from the, the seedbed of those two gardens that then we connect to God's world. And we take up the mantle, the mandate of being salt and light in a world that doesn't know him. I would encourage you, if you aren't part of a group, to come at 9 o'clock. Start there. That's easy. Low-hanging fruit, right? Come at 9 o'clock on Sundays and go to Sunday school. You meet people, you chat, you laugh. If you haven't been part of a life group, I need more life groups. We need more life groups. Uh, We need somebody who will host. In a minute, we're going to take up an offering. If you can host or... If you're looking to join, if you haven't joined a life group and you're ready to get into a group to connect with people, to pray together, to get into the scriptures together, outside of Sunday morning, put in a card when the offering comes around and somebody will contact you. After worship, do you always go straight home? Connect with somebody. Ask if you want to go out to lunch during the week. How many people text in here? How many people text Okay, I think across age ranges, we're to the point now where almost everybody texts. Shoot a message to somebody from your church family. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them what's going on in their week. And maybe you can connect at some point. Have a coffee. It's not, see, see I, I, I lay this charge on you like, you need to have best friends who are, who are chasing after Jesus, who are hard. Well, how do I do that? It's not rocket science. It can feel intimidating. It can feel like, well, how do, it's not. It's not, but you might have to put yourself out there. You might have to make a little bit of an effort. But you do that, and this church family will, this church family will bend over backwards helping you to connect. I know you all would do that. And now, since I said that, you're on the hook to do it. Right? Good. <laughs>